Folks, welcome. I'm doing something a little different with my intros, and I'm going to be jumping in before that sick opening uh, song um, to just give you a little detail and uh, some background on this podcast uh, for the upcoming podcast, I should say. Um, this episode is uh, it's all about kind of factory farming, um, agriculture, how we have a relationship with food and, you know, the farmland. Um I'm pleased to be joined today on this episode. Um, he is an aspiring agriculture, agricultural teacher, agriculture teacher, um, who's in school for right now, but he is an agriculture uh, educator. He is the host of the Talk Ag to Me podcast, where you can get anywhere you get your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, non-binary folk, please give it up for my man, Brendan Blunt. Take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Welcome to Life in Rabbit. All right, boom, here we go. Mr. Brennan Black, how are you, sir? I'm pretty good. How are you doing? I'm good, man. You are in the States on the Pacific time zone. What's, it, mm-hmm. what's been going on in uh, America, man? That's the Wild West right now. It really is, man. That's no kidding. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I live in California, which I'm sure you've heard in the news is on fire right now. Um, (laughs) uh, fires are pretty much all, all but contained about right now. So we're, we're pretty good now, but for a few weeks there, man, it was rough. We couldn't breathe going outside. It was, it was hard. You know, I had some friends that lost some, some homes and some land up there and, and we had a lot of animals being relocated and that kind of thing, but it was, it was rough for, for a pretty, uh, pretty long amount of time but it looks like we're starting to recover from it that's good man um that's also interesting in, a, in our subject because like that's going to cause a, a huge amount of damage for for farmers mm-hmm. and for uh like california because you guys have such great weather down there like that's where you know for if i'm wrong please correct me mm-hmm. but where a lot of like good like you know the wineries are big down there mm-hmm. um i think avocados like a, a lot of stuff comes from there so like that's What's like the potential impact for all that stuff? Like that's going to be billions of dollars. Oh, it's been massive. And I couldn't give you an exact number because yeah. not all of the damage has been calculated quite yet. But uh, really, we've, we've seen uh, big hits to a lot of different industries because of where the fires hit. And uh, yeah, you, know, you mentioned a couple industries that California is pretty big in, you know, wine, grapes, um, you know, and avocados, obviously. But there's a lot of industries people tend to not realize that California grows like dairy, citrus, tree nuts, like walnuts, almonds, pistachios, all that kind of stuff, uh, row crops. And like a lot of those were, were, were damaged as well in, in a lot of those northern regions. And most of that's were in the Central Valley and it didn't hit us quite as bad. But in the areas that were burned, we lost a lot of, uh, a lot of valuable cropland and, and especially animals. We had a lot of livestock had to be relocated to uh, local fairgrounds and rodeo grounds so they weren't burned up. And I don't know of any massive casualties in terms of livestock or, or people, luckily. I know there were some, um, but I don't know of, of, of anything massive. So... We, we kind of dodged a bullet there, but I know that there was some, some uh, massive hits in terms of land loss and, and some economic uh, impact as well. Yeah, it, that's one of the things that kind of gets lost in the news cycle where mm-hmm. we, I mean, rightfully so, we get the human impact and we get a lot of talk about climate change. And let's not forget, we're also in the middle of a pandemic when all this shit's happening. Mm-hmm. 
but you get lost on you know the animals uh the cropland that's going to be burned for for i don't know if that comes back really quickly or not but i i was um do you know the comedian oh i can never say her name but isla uh scherzlinger i think her her name is i've heard her name Uh, before i haven't yeah she's a big comedian um i enjoy her comedy any anyway Mm -hmm. Her, she put out a GoFundMe for her brother, who's a weed farmer, which is also big out there, mm-hmm. who lost everything. And because it's not federally re- regulated or something, like insurance wouldn't cover it. So it's one of those things where, and I'm glad to have you on to start talking about, get people thinking about the kind of the other side of all these arguments we always hear about in, in mm-hmm. agriculture and farming, because that gets lost and then no one thinks about it. And then down the line, I'm fucking living now. We're going to be out of pistachios. And like, mm-hmm. I would never have known that if I was going to talk <laughs> to you. So, yeah. Um, I, I'm interested, how long have you been in farming? Like, let's just start off right off from the beginning because, you know, you're, you've, you have the podcast now and communicator and studying it. Mm-hmm. Have, have you been doing that all your life? Is that like the family business or? Uh, well, the, the podcast, definitely not. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the uh, the agriculture, yes. Uh, I, I grew up, I was born and raised in Tulare, California. I was actually born in, in Visalia, but I was raised in Tulare, California. And it's a, you know, if you if you never heard of it, it's a little farm town right in the smack dab center of California, right in the Central Valley. And um, it's actually home to the uh, world's largest agriculture technology and science exhibition in the world. And it's it's uh, called the World Ag Expo. We used to call it the Farm Show, which we still do. With the official title is the World Ag Expo, and you have people from all around the world coming to visit for that kind of thing. I've met farmers from Sweden, Australia, India, uh, you know, different parts of Asia and Europe. I mean, people come from all over. It's really, really cool. But besides that, we're just a little, you know, little farm town. We got got a little fairgrounds in there and that sort of thing. And um, Tulare is most well known for, for raising dairy. Uh, so we have a lot of dairy farms around there. Uh, trees are starting to become a lot more popular. So there's a lot of different tree farmers, some row crop farmers, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, yeah, I, you know, couldn't go outside without seeing a farm one way or another. So I kind of just always was around it. Um, but it wasn't until high school that I actually started taking an interest. I mean, my dad's been working in, in the agriculture industry his whole life. He's been working on dairies. He's been, uh, he does a lot of pest control. So he takes care of the fly situation on a lot of dairies and, mm. uh, you know, sprays for different types of pests that could be damaging, um, the, the, the health of those dairy cows. And so him and his, his dad, my grandfather, uh, ran that business for forever. They're still running it today. I worked for him for a few years doing that. Um, but when I was little, I used to just, you know, play with the cows on the dairy and that was about all I did. When I got to be in high school, though, I had zero interest in agriculture. I had no interest in, in studying it. I didn't want to be part of it. I wanted to be a mechanical engineer, and that was it. Like, that was my entire thing because I was a big science nerd growing up, and I still am. But um, I, I got into high school, and I just fell in love with it. I mean, I was part of a program called FFA. I'm not sure if you've, if you've heard of it at all. Okay, so FFA. <laughs> right. Yeah. The FFA <laughs> is, uh, it's the future farmers of America is what yeah. the uh, acronym stands for. Um, they changed their names. So now it's the national FFA organization. It doesn't stand for anything anymore, but that's what it was supposed to stand for is the future farmers of America. Uh, but basically 
it's a youth leadership uh, program that it takes high school students and teaches them like leadership skills, like public speaking, interview skills, resume building, you know, job, you know, required skills, stuff like that. And as, as well as like leadership stuff, you know, how to, how to conduct a team, how to solve problems, you know, just that, that kind of general stuff. We have officer positions, but it's all rooted in agriculture. So we learn about where our food comes from while we're learning all these leadership skills. And my parents both did it in high school. Both of my siblings did it in high school. A lot of my family did it. So they were like, hey, you got to do one year before you give up. You're not allowed to just not do it. You have to try one year. And then if you don't like it, then you can give up. So I, I did a year of it. I raised this year. I did a couple of teams here and there. It was like kind of fun at first. And then I went to my first conference and I just fell in love with it. And I love showing my seer. I love doing the speaking teams after that. I got really, really close with some friends in there and just that was my my new escape from high school because you know nobody enjoys high school all that much and so uh during high school i i just spent all the time in the world hanging out with my ag teachers and my friends we were all going to shows and conferences and we were doing speeches and i just if it wasn't for that i wouldn't be doing what i'm doing today like i was a shy kid i learned how to speak and it really brought me out of my shell that's what inspired me to start the podcast that's what inspired me to start uh, wanting to be an agriculture teacher and so i really got my start because of that program and from there, I've just, I've just been actively involved in the industry. I've been going to different farms, learning about, you know, not just dairy cattle and, and you know, trees where I grew up. I've been learning about citrus. I've been learning about uh, crops from up north, from down south, from different states, from different countries, all kinds of different agriculture. That way I know enough about each industry that when I become a teacher, I can be a good teacher. Mm. Right. I'm, and it sounds like a great program. I don't know if we have the same thing uh, up Not here. Not in Canada, but... no. No? <laughs> no, Canada, it's, it's only American. <laughs> um, Actually, Japan has one too, but it's just, you know, just but it's It's interesting because, you know, I, I was saying, I can't remember if I even said it on mic, but I'm from a small town as well with a lot of people who worked and families kind of did farms and hmm. farmers get all, there's definitely a stereotype where they're, <laughs> they're less intelligent, which is, Kind of like as I've grown up is like kind of like a ridiculous thing as these people are managing businesses and, and food and all these different areas, but that's besides the point. But, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, we as a society, especially as we grow or as we are younger, are so disconnected from not only where our food comes from, how it's produced, everything that kind of goes into not only the like cultivating it and and distributing it but you know what like it just you get the documentaries like food inc and 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 everything it just creates kind of this mass hysteria around all these kind of different subjects not only just with animals but all sorts of you know lobbying and and all these different types of areas so i want to get into a couple of these things and i do want to start with particularly the meat industry i'm particularly fascinated by uh, sustainable and regenerative, regenerative, if I even said that right, farming. I did not take a speaking class, believe it or not. <laughs> um, but farming in itself, and especially when it comes to meat farming, it has the facade of that animal cruelty um, and all the, the, those different things. So, I mean, I don't know where to start with exactly with a question, but is the meat industry, I guess, as bad as the, the media and some of the popular culture makes it out to be? Mm-hmm. So uh, to answer that question in the most simple form, no. Um, they're definitely, and you hit you know, every nail on the head with, with your statement just now and saying that you know, today's uh, population is very disconnected from agriculture. Uh, there's actually a, a, quite a few statistics out there about that same, 
stat. So there's about a two to three generational gap between today's population and agriculture. So that means that somebody might have a grandparent, maybe a great grandparent that worked on a farm, um, but they're, they're, they haven't seen a farm in two to three generations of their family. And so because of that, we're having a massive, uh, not just a, you know, not just a, a cultural disconnection, but a communicative, a communicative mm-hmm. disconnection as well. And uh, part of that is to blame uh, on both sides. And I think that the farmers are actually more to blame in this department just because it took us so long to get to the social media aspect of things that we just weren't telling our story fast enough. And somebody else came in and told it and they told the wrong story and now we're here. And so I, I, you know, I never get mad at anyone who doesn't know anything about agriculture because we don't have the best people out there on media teaching them about it. We're getting there, but we're so slow to the game that it's almost too late at this point. So we're really trying to catch up for a lost time. Um, but moving into the meat department thing, like you talked about the, all the, uh, like food Inc and all those different documentaries and you, know, you see all the social media posts by different animal rights organizations like PETA and HSUS and all those guys are posting videos of these, you know, terrible, like, you know, like black and white videos with, with like the, like the Frankenstein filter on it. And it's, you know, we've got the sad music playing in the background and you see these animals getting, you know, just beaten mercilessly. And it's just, it's a terrible sight. I'll, I'll fully admit those videos make it hard to watch for even somebody who knows what's going on in that industry too. I'll say right now that 99% of those videos are completely inaccurate. And when I say they're not here, I don't mean that they're fake videos. I mean that those videos are purposefully recontext to make them look worse than they actually are. Some of them are taken accurately in a way that they are actually recording a facility that is actually doing things inhumanely. And I'll be the first to admit, agriculturalists make mistakes. There are not, you know, not 100% of farmers are good people. There are some bad farmers out there, but agriculture is an industry. Every industry has has corruption in it. That's just how the world works. You know, you can't have an organization without corruption somewhere in one of its branches. And so we might have, let's just say we have a million farmers. There's going to be 10 that are going to be corrupt. Like that's just how that works. And Mm so I'm not going to say that there's no bad farmers. I'm not going to say there's no bad ranchers. There's no bad people who, you know, there's not... I, I can't honestly say there's no one out there who mistreats their animals, but to say that all farmers are like that, that's just not being honest. And so I think that the, the best way to approach that conversation of the meat industry, and I'll get more into depth about how all of it works on, on, the, on the deeper levels, but the best way to go into it is just keep in mind that those farmers rely on those animals to be healthy and stress-free to make their profits. If you look at it from the business perspective, mm-hmm. if you want to look at it from the moral perspective, a, a hefty portion of farmers, a hefty majority of farmers, I couldn't have an exact number for you, but most farmers are extremely religious. And because of that, they have a, a strong moral compass that, that protects those animals. They care about their animals. I know, you know, many farmers who have lost animals who have, you know, they have a cow who's, who's having a calf and that calf dies in the middle of the night, or, or maybe the cow dies in the middle of the night. Those farmers go into depression at, almost as if those are their own family member, because they do. They think of them as if they're family. And so to think that those farmers are just merciless, you know, business tycoons is, is just not being intellectually honest with how those farmers actually treat their, their livestock. And so there, there's two factors here, the business and, and the moral aspects of these people. They, excuse me. And you also have to acknowledge they are people at the end of the day. You know, this, this isn't a machine. They're not robots. The ro- those cows aren't robots. You know, these are, these are real people taking care of real living animals. And so when you start to have the conversation of animal and, and the meat and 
how slaughterhouses work and all that kind of stuff, that's when you can start to kind of break down the, you know, how much of this is accurate and how much of this is taken out of context. Because right. there are certain things, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, because, you know, with those documentaries, especially, and that, that's, it's sad that that's where we get most of our information is from a mm-hmm. framed documentary that kind of goes viral. But, you know, there's been a couple of them where I think the perception is, is these farmers, um, not to say necessarily they're bad people, but that they are almost prisoners to the large kind of meat packing companies where they, they have to do things a certain way and they have to do volume over, over quality type things. You know, um, you get the rumor, uh, rumors or facts. I don't know that they're pumped for full of hormones and they're full of corn instead of, you know, grass fed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is, is, is all that kind of go into it as well that, you know, the big meat packing companies kind of control everything and, and the farmers are kind of forced to do that, the bidding, I guess. I would say that that's another misconception. Uh, more often than not, the companies comply with the farmers more than the farmers comply with the companies. And, and, and oftentimes, those companies are, base, are basing their decisions off of what the markets are liking. So really, it's not that the company is saying you have to have 50 cows in a pen small enough that they can't turn around. It's that the markets are demanding numbers so high that those companies can't keep up with them. And so they have to ask those farmers to, to push a little bit more. And the farmers, if that doesn't fit their their lifestyle, they push back. They either say, no, we'll go through a different company or they, they make the company negotiate them to have better regulations. And there are tons of regulations on that kind of stuff. So for example, you mentioned hormones, uh, at least in the United States, I can't speak on behalf of Canada, but I'm pretty sure Canada's legal system follows very similarly to the United States in this department. It is legal to pump any hormones, any, any artificial hormones into livestock of, of the beef industry and the, and the poultry industry. So you, you literally can't have, you know, uh, beef, you know, steers with, with any kind of hormones that make them grow faster. Uh, certain antibiotics are banned. Uh, you know, you can't have that kind of stuff. It's just not legal. And not only is it not legal to have it in there when they're slaughtered, it's not legal to have it in there at any point in their life. And those farmers have to keep a very, very close uh, record of all medications and all uh, injections they give to those animals. And the vet has to analyze it before they go into slaughter to make sure it's, it's true because the vet's there when all those injections are given. And then the vet can verify if that, if that animal was treated uh, legally or not. And so there, there's, there's tons of red tape that's around those areas to prevent those kinds of things from happening. And that's one of the things I have an issue with, with all these documentaries, they're saying, you know, our, our chickens are being pumped full of hormones to make them fatter. It's never in the history of, of poultry legal to inject chickens with growth hormones, or they're saying our, our cows are being pumped with hormones to make them produce more milk. That was true for a while, but back in 2018, uh, April 1st, 2018, it was made illegal to put artificial hormones in, in cows to make them produce more milk. Um, the hormones that like you select the hormone free label, the hormones that are in uh, the, the, that label basically is just saying that it's free of artificial hormones. And oftentimes those labels can be misleading because it might say there's, you know, there's no hormones in a chicken, you know, breast that never had hormones in it or, or it was never legal to have hormones in it in the first place. So it wouldn't even be on the market if it did have hormones in it. And uh, with, with some of those things, I can understand why people would be worried about it. But more often than not, you know, you're eating a biological product that's going to have hormones in it. We have hormones in us. After we die, our body still has hormones running through it. So you're still consuming the hormones. You're just consuming them 
in an in an abundant in a more abundant state than you would have naturally, and that's what tends to concern people is that there's just more hom- hormones than there usually would be, and so it's not that you're completely hormone free, you still have added hormones, and that's that's kind of the the, the misconception in the conversation in the, in that department at least. What and about so when what about that. when they were like kind of like you and again um, I don't know if the the things are out of context, but you get the visuals of you know the the chickens in the dark coop, um, like just with like thousands of chickens and they're all sick and dying and, and, and I'm similar to cows. You, you've seen some of that, mm-hmm. you know, is that also kind of taken out of context or is that more normally how it's done? Uh, that one, I, I would say, and I, I think I know where, where you're, uh, where you're going with this. Like you see like some PETA videos of stuff like that, where yeah. you have chickens in cages just in rows. Uh, that one is taking out of context in, in the sense that, those are how operations are ran. And I, I, I agree that looks bad, but there's a reason that they're ran like that. And I'll explain why. And, and you can kind of make your own justification if mm-hmm. this, if this uh, sounds fair. Um, so poultry and pork are the two most uh, biosecure industries in the entire meat industry department. So uh, if you go on to any hog ranch or any uh, chicken you know, facility, there's going to be a gate at the, at the front that stops you and you have to completely down, take a shower and then go through and then change into their clothes before you're allowed to go into the facility. Because they're so, so chicken and pork obviously are the two highest uh, risk for disease because you have avian flus and swine flus mm-hmm. and you have all these different things for, running around. They're so biosecure, they don't let anything in and anything out that's not completely verified by the government. And so in order to preserve those those standards, they have to keep the chickens in containment units to make sure that they know exactly where that chicken has been at all times so that they don't risk getting the entire population sick. It looks bad on camera. I agree. I, I, I don't like how it looks either. And there actually have been recent regulations in California to change those to Prop 12, which changes the size of the, of the cage. That way the chickens have more room to move around. And people argue back and forth whether that was a good thing or not because it hurt some industries and it helped them, some others. But overall, there, there are things being done to try to help those facilities get more and more humane. But, you know, chicken facilities are temperature regulated. They're space regulated. They're, um, you know, uh, sanitized constantly. They have all these different regulations in place to make sure those chickens and, and those hogs are taken care of to a degree that not only are they not going to get sick, but nobody else who eats that meat is going to get sick either. Right. Well, it's a, you're right. Like it kind of, I guess then it just comes down to, do you believe that, you know, these animals should be cooped up or not? And then you kind of make, but that, that's the way it is. But it, it leads to kind of like one of the other things I wanted to talk about is um, factory farming. You know, that, mm-hmm. like that, that also kind of gets the bad rap. And when you, when you talk to people who, especially who eat meat, I mean, factory farming is everything because we have such a, a mass scale of people we need to, to feed. But uh, people are like, you know, I, I eat meat, but I don't support factory farming. So you get hunters who say that a lot and they, they go and get their food. That's what brought me to the point of um, sustainable and regenerative farming where, mm-hmm. you know, it, it kind of brings it back more to a local level. Mm-hmm. Is f- factory farming actually a problem or is it just kind of like a byproduct of the way we run society and it's like the way things have to be done if we're in order to feed everybody. So before I ask that, or before I answer that question, I, I, I want to clarify something. So sure. when you say factory farming, would you mind defining that for me? 
Ooh, interesting. So I would say um, per, kind of producing like a, uh, whether it's, it's meat or a, a product, like a, a vegetable, like corn or potato, whatever it is, mm-hmm. that you produce it at such a mass scale that it brings, especially with meat, it brings back into the, the conversation of, you know, are the animals be tr- being treated fairly? Um, so if we're, we're going to talk about the chickens in, in the coop um, and every, they're all kind of stacked together, is that a humane way to, 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 to do it to, to, in order to feed everybody, right? So I guess factory farming to me is producing something um, at a mass level where things like animal welfare and, and maybe some of the little small details get kind of tossed out of the, w- the window because you have such a mass volume of things you're trying to get out. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think that's fair. So the reason I asked that is because one of the the hard parts about talking about things like factory farming and sustainability is nobody on how to define them. So, mm-hmm. so I know I addressed their point correctly uh, because I've had conversations with people that think the factory farming is, like you said, you know, large scale farming to a point where you can't possibly account for every single animal and there's some humanity issues in, in mm-hmm. the way. I've heard it described in you know, a, a variety of different ways. And the same thing with sustainability. Sustainability could mean environmental sustainability, financial sustainability, uh, sustainability in terms of the uh, well-being of the animals, sustainability in terms of well-being of the workers. I mean, like mm-hmm. there's so many ways to define these terms that it's really difficult to have conversations unless you know exactly what they're talking about right so i i you know i don't mean to put you on the spot there but i, I want it. to know where you're coming from <laughs> and i've also had people say you know that the believe that factory farming like you've seen like the the animated commercials of like the uh like assembly line where they just you know they, they put like a chicken on the assembly line and it goes through and they inject it and yes. then it gets bigger and goes back on the assembly line and then it becomes a a, a roast or whatever and then yeah so people who think that that's factory farming too, or I really want to know, you know, who I'm talking to whenever I answer that, that point. And because that's a misconception too, is that people think that's what farming is today. And it's really not, uh, you know, there's no assembly line process to farming. There's usually an assembly line process to the slaughterhouse. And that tends to be where that, where that loss of, of communication was. Right. So in terms of factory farming, whether or not it's an issue, uh, personally, and, and you know, you can you can take this with a grain of salt. I don't think it's as big of an issue as everyone is making it out to be. Not that I'm a you know uh, a diehard supporter of large scale farmers, but because it's so hard to define, like what do you you know how do you determine a large scale farm versus a small scale farm? You know, like at, at what level does the acreage make it a large scale farm? Like because yes, the size of the farms are increasing over time. That's because regulations from a state and national level are making it so difficult for small farms to survive that they're being bought out by larger farms. And usually that's, it sounds like a bad thing. You know, when we think about that, like a company, like a small, you know, mom and pop shop gets bought out by a large corporation. We don't like when that happens. Mm -hmm. When a farm gets bought out that way, it's not always a bad thing. And I'll tell you why. So we usually try to avoid having the small guy get bought out by the bigger guy, but small farmers and large farmers, if they live in the same area are usually friends. Farming is a very different industry in terms of the community that's involved. And so they may be, you know, best buzz that, that live down the street from each other. And, you know, this guy's got a tiny farm of, you know, a hundred acres and this guy's got a farm of a thousand acres. Well, the guy with a thousand acres is you know hearing about on the news that, that this guy with the, with the small farm is going to get bought out by some you know walmart that wants to turn his farm into a new store 
to stop that from happening, the large farm buys out the small farm. That way that land stays in food production. That would be an example of a, of a positive version of factory farming. The farm gets bigger. Now we have a larger scale farm that's producing things on a scale that some would consider dangerous, but it saved that small farmer. And he might keep that small farmer there to run the operation. Just now somebody else owns that land. And so that's why it's such a difference between, uh, you know, what, what we consider industries uh, on the, on the urban scale and then rural industries they're, because they're very different operations. So, it, it, so far as that make, does that make sense? Like everything I'm saying isn't confusing or anything. Yeah, no, it, and it's a good point that I'm, I'm glad you asked me that question because there are definitely different interpretations on what that could mean. Because as soon as you brought up the assembly line, I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah, that's a good point. But I guess it always comes down to, I think, equating factory farming to um, the efficacy of the operation, I guess you mm-hmm. could say, right? I guess that's what most people define, would kind of narrow it down is they want to make sure that where they're getting their products is ethically treating the, the animals, the land, the, the, the workers, like you said. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about factory farming, and again, going back to, you know, the, the documentaries and, and the, the way that it's been framed, whether it's right or wrong, um, puts it yeah gives it that if it's a factory farm if it's not a local mom and pop shop who are loving and caring for their animals and have the little chickens running around that Mm -hmm. it is a harm and it's doing Mm -hmm. it's doing more harm and it's not concerned about the efficacy of their operation it's a profit driver it's it's all about the margins right which i i definitely understand that mentality uh what what i would offer as a as a counterpoint is that the idea that I think what, what people tend to equate to factory farming is what we in the industry call corporate farming. And so corporate farming is often thought of as, you know, you have a large corporation, let's just say McDonald's, for example, mm. uh, and McDonald's, you know, people tend to think that McDonald's has a bunch of their own farms. Like they have beef ranches that feed into producing their, their patties for their burgers. That's not, ten, that doesn't tend to be how things work. You know, they say that there's, I can't remember what the number is now, like 72% of, and that could be completely wrong. So nobody take that as, as fact, but let's just say, for example, 72% of, of farms in the United States, at least are corporate owned. That just means that the, that the farm is large enough to be considered a corporate sized operation. Doesn't mean it's not family owned though, because 98% of farms are family owned. And that one is true. 98% of farms are family owned. It might even be 99 now. I don't remember, but basically the amount of farms that are actually corporate owned is so tiny because those, those corporate operations usually buy their produce from other farmers. And those, those farmers are usually small family scale operations that just sell a lot of their product to the same place. And so what, you know, I, I definitely understand the ethical argument to the factory farming issue, but usually what tends to happen is that farmers don't like having land over a certain size because it's so much to take care of that they're worried about their, their quality of their product decreasing because of the quantity of the amount of stuff they have to take care of. And so they will allocate, uh, you know, different farmers to take care of different uh, plots of land just because they can't handle it all under one farmer. That way, no animals are treated unethically, no crops are, are taken care of unethically, no workers are treated unethically because farmers get overloaded too. So they don't want to have, you know, 10,000 acres they have to take care of if they can take care of a thousand acres and have nine other farmers there taking care of the other 9,000. And so it's, it's really just, you know, and some farmers prefer to have that, that larger land if they can handle it, but the argument tends to gear towards the idea that, you know, all these corporate 
businesses have these massive farms that they don't care about. It's just one guy running a bunch of farms when in reality, the corporate businesses have the company and they buy all the product from the small scale family farmers. that just have a corporate name to, to keep themselves in business. Right. Uh, as you were talking, I was pulling it up because I was trying to remember who it was. But I think when when you get into this conversation, especially uh, like the, the big one that kind of pops up is uh, is Purdue Farms. Mm-hmm. I think it was Purdue. Are they the ones that own or at least have uh, the the cattle in Brazil? Is that? Is I that believe so. I, I know who Purdue is. They are one of the largest, if not the largest, ag corporations in the world. Yeah, and that, like I think that's where you get into that that confusion because. Mm-hmm. And, then you hear about, and I bring up Brazil is because um, they're tearing down, like the big reason why they're tearing down the rainforest there, down there is because they're making room for, for cattle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, uh, what was I watching? Uh, it, was a, it was a documentary on Netflix. I'm, fucking, I'm so guilty for that. Um, <laughs> but it was like that, even though they're in Brazil and that's where like almost all the beef comes from, it goes to, I, 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 man, I don't know, this podcast isn't big enough for me to get libel but that it goes to Purdue and then they de- disseminate everything into kind of like different companies down the line and then I think that like when you get to that scale that's where that that big issue and, and people start getting worried and that's where all the stories start coming in yeah definitely and I definitely have heard more about the Purdue fear lately uh, Purdue and Monsanto are kind of big ones that we're terrified of and to be completely honest I haven't done a ton of research for Purdue, so I don't know what they're doing down in Brazil, but if if we're destroying the rainforest to, to produce more farmland, then that's a bit of a, that, that's, that's a different conversation there. That's yeah. a conversation of environmental versus agricultural land use. And so I think that we can get into that conversation if you want, but on, on the topic of factory farming, uh, the whole corporate farm thing, I definitely understand people fearing having a, an almost like ag monopoly, you know, having one overarching company that controls so much power in, in the ag economy. I can understand that being a fear because we like to support the local, you know, the small farmer. We like to, we like to help out those guys. I think that if people separate the Purdue example from the rest of the argument that it still stands that you know it's, it's not worth fearing having large farms around as long as they're still being run by families and they're still being run the right way if if purdue is treating people unethically or if they're having an unethical uh, uh style to running their business that's a, i like i said i don't have enough information on that to, to speak on it if, if they are perfectly fine i will i will stand by you guys and trying to get rid of that if not though then you know that that needs to be a conversation had in of itself but i can't comment on it if i don't know enough about it right yeah. now and like, I'm just talking shit. I don't know anything. This was, <laughs> this was like something I heard on something else. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know much about it either. Um, yeah. I did want to, is there, would there ever be a way that we could go back to, you know, and, and I know I'm glad you kind of like broke it up into, to understanding it, but like just whether it's an education thing or it's just people understanding it, a more local based, like, could we feed America or Canada or the world with, with local farms at the farmer's market? Like, would there be a way like to ever transition out of that, that more of a, instead of like this big agriculture, like monopoly thing into a more, and I know you said it, but like, just Mm -hmm. speaking for people at like a more local level. As much as I wish we could, that's not possible anymore. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. Um, Because I've I've said that, you know, 
since I was an FFA, like why, like, why are we so involved in trade? Why doesn't everyone just grow their own food and, and do their own thing? And that was back before I learned about urbanization and, and the loss of arable land. And essentially what's happened over the past 20, 30 years, because that used to be the thing, you know, everyone had, you know, they were neighbors with the farmer or they got all their food from the local farmer's market. And some places can still do that if they're sustainable in that, in that, you know, silo farming in their area. Unfortunately, the way the world works now over the past, and it might've been longer than that, maybe it was 50 years, maybe it was, you know, I don't know how long it's been since we've made this transition. The amount of urbanization that's happened has made that impossible. So in, in other countries, for sure, I, there, there are, there's an ever growing list of countries that are entirely dependent on imports for their food production because they can't grow their own food anymore. Sweden is, is rapidly getting its way to that list. And I actually talked to a Swedish farmer a few years ago that told me that uh, Sweden's government banned genetic modification. And because of that, they are basically entirely dependent on imports because they can't grow their own food anymore without GMOs. And so you see companies starting, or not companies, countries starting to, to go that way too, is a lot of those countries, uh, they're letting their public, which, you know, I'm all for democracy, but they're letting their public who doesn't know any better vote on, on banning certain methods of agriculture that is ultimately hurting their food production and their food security. And so as much as I would love to see, you know, a world where everyone, everyone supports their local farmers and we live off of the, you know, the local lands availability for food, the amount of land that we've destroyed for urban for urban development we can't get that land back you know land is only arable until you do a certain level of damage to it and then it takes millions of years to regenerate to the point where you can farm on it again because that's just not you know the we've learned a lot about soil recently in that soil has uh, microbiomes in it there's microorganisms living in the soil that helps the the crops grow in the way that they do if you destroy those microbiomes and if you destroy them deep enough into the soil, like we do when we create foundations for housing and, and buildings, we're destroying the potential for that soil to ever be alive again. Cause soil is a living creature. It's, 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 you know, that's what we depend on to have agriculture even work in the first place. We have to make sure that soil maintains intact. As soon as, you, as soon as you lay, you know, foundation on top of it, that's it. We can't get it back. There's no way to regenerate it unless they create some new technology to bring it back to life faster than a million years. It's just not, it's not feasible with our current technology to, to farm that land. And that's actually a, a big argument too, is that people go, you know, towards the route of why don't we just feed the world using a plant-based, op, uh, you know, a plant-based diet. Mm-hmm. And you know, that that's, there's a whole conversation for that too. But the, the main reason for that is because we have a massive, because they say, you know, let's get rid of all the dairy livestock operations, let's get rid of all the pork plants, and we'll just grow corn, and, you know, we'll grow all those crops in those areas. We'll get rid of all the fields we're using to grow animal feed, and we'll grow human food there. The problem is they don't understand that different soil is good for growing different types of crops. And so, you know, there's a reason we built a dairy there instead of a cornfield. That dairy was on land that couldn't grow any food. And so, when we start to get into the conversation of how much land is left that we can still farm, it's, it's kind of a scary number. And I don't have the exact number anymore. I have it from a few years ago, but I'm sure it's much worse now because urbanization is growing at an exponential rate. And so to answer your question, not really, we can't get back to that state anymore. Is, is it true that I don't know if everywhere, but like when you plant um, crops, like uh, especially like soy, does that just, like, is it bad, is bad for the environment? I, I seem to recall that ringing in my head that that's happened. Like it destroys the the biodiversity in the soil or, or it like dry. I don't remember what it was, but like, 
when you going back to that plant-based diet isn't it true that some crops like will like totally just mess everything up Mm -hmm. so yeah there actually are some crops that they're not going to completely kill the earth but there are crops called uh we call them leachers or i guess i call them leachers um (laughs) we do not everyone follows my terminology but yeah uh you know i I call i I used to call them leachers but basically there are crops that uh if you plant them in the soil and you're not careful about your your methods of taking care of those of that soil they'll drain all the nutrients from the soil and this this is a mistake that a lot of newer farmers make when they don't realize what they're what they're doing exactly they'll drain the nutrients from the soil and there's even some older farmers that do this and they rotate those crops to try to get another crop in there and they put in another crop that drains the, the nutrients from the soil again. And that, that soil gets so drained that we can't use it anymore. And that happens, you know, quite a bit. It doesn't happen as much as it used to, because now, like I said, we have a better understanding of how soil health works. And so we can, we can avoid those kinds of things. We have PCAs that can help with that. We have agronomists that can help with that. And we actually have uh, genetically modified cover crops. And so if you're in between a, a crop rotation, you might, let's say you plant soybeans and you harvest them that soil is hurting now. Let's just say it's, it's low on nitrogen. You can plant a cover crop of legumes. Maybe you plant some beans or something. And those, those cover crops could be genetically modified to draw nitrogen from the, from the air, from the, from the atmosphere around it. And they'll plant it back into the soil, regenerating it back into its, its natural state. And so we, we developed new farming methods. And re, like you mentioned, regenerative and, and sustainable agriculture, those are, are a, couple, a couple examples of newer ways and newer technologies that we're learning how to keep that soil healthy and, and nutritious. That way we're not hurting the environment quite as much as we used to. I can see why you you gravitated to this because the science in it is so cool. That, oh yeah, uh, the chemistry, and, the biology, the, mm-hmm. all of that stuff that goes into all these new um, techniques of, of <laughs> gathering and you know growing crops. Um, yeah, and like you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, there was a stigma that farmers are kind of dumb or that they, you know they just don't have as much intelligence as other people farmers are some of the smartest people I've ever met. I mean, they have to be the best biologists. They have to be the best meteorologists because they have to predict the weather. Mm. They have to be the best, you know, uh, mathematicians. They have to be the best accountants, the best economists, the best chemists. You know, they have to understand this stuff like the back of their hand and they hire people to help them with it, but they still have to know it because they're running that business at the end of the day. And so, you know, it's not just the business stuff that makes them smart. It's all the science and all the technology and all the, you know, all that stuff too. And they're also, the biggest environmentalists because they are, they rely on the environment even more than we do. You know, that the environment is what makes that makes their crops grow. And so, you know, like, like you mentioned earlier, like people tend to think that farmers are just, you know, old McDonald with his, with his overalls on and he's got a straw hanging out of his mouth. He's gotten a little bit smart. He went to school since then. So there's a, there's a little bit of a different image of the farmer today. Yeah. That, that's interesting. You know, um, wh- Correct me if I'm wrong. Would you say a majority of the the farmers in the states would tend to vote Republican? I would say, yeah. Most most farmers tend to lean on on the right side of the spectrum. Right, I, and it's the same in Canada. We I don't know how much you're familiar with our political system, but our Republican Party is kind of your Republican is our conservative party. Mm-hmm. So we kind of have the same thing. Uh, the reason I ask is uh, climate change. Um, mm-hmm. You know. I'm not saying all Republicans don't believe in climate change. I think that, that's not what I'm saying. But um, generally speaking, if you don't believe in climate change, that's, you're probably on the right end of it. How much would you say like, climate change is affecting 
how people, you know, how, how business is doing, how farms are doing, because I know in Canada, um, we just had like a huge drought in, in, in the middle of the summer and, and farmers were, were really like worried about what was going to happen. I'm not sure where that's left off, but how much is climate change really affecting? And, and do they believe it's climate change or just kind of like it's, it's the weather this season? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, like I mentioned, a lot of the farmers in the United States tend to be more right-leaning. And because of that, they you know tend to have more of a right-leaning perspective on the climate change issue. Mm-hmm. However, they're not climate change deniers. Most of, you know, I, I haven't personally met any farmers that, that completely deny it exists. Most, most people acknowledge that it exists. It's just that they tend to not blame that for, for the reason that their crops didn't grow that season or whatever. Mm-hmm. There tends to be other factors involved. And so like, I'll give you an example. So in California, obviously we're notorious for having no water. You know, we mm-hmm. have tons and tons of drought seasons, you know, year after year, we've just had drought after drought. Those droughts have been happening since the early 1900s and even before that. That's just in California's history is that those droughts are a thing. They've gotten worse over the years, but they're still, you know, they're, they're traditional for California. A lot of environmentalists in California tend to blame the droughts on climate change, which I can understand their argument. I've done the research and, and it, it does uh, make sense, but they're also forgetting there's a factor that, that's involved in, in the drought as well. It's not that we're not getting enough water. It's that we don't know how to store that water. We have, you know, the last time we built a a dam or a reservoir was in the 1960s. So we have no way of storing excess water. And so it all goes out to the ocean. And so when it all goes out to the ocean, it looks like the sea levels are rising, which isn't accurate because we're just putting more water in there than we would have normally. And so there there's infrastructure issues as well as environmental issues that that contribute to our lack of water situation so it can't be entirely blamed on climate change maybe it's a factor i'm not going to deny that that it could be a, a playing a role but to say this the only thing that's causing that kind of issue is just false now farmers have been incentivized to create uh, countermeasures to that kind of stuff and that's why a lot of farmers support the idea that they could be actually uh, playing a role because we have, like I said, we have environmentally uh, adapted crops now. We have, you know, uh, genetically modified crops that can put uh, nitrogen back into the earth. But we also have crops that can reduce carbon emissions and can reduce methane emissions. And you know, we have uh, technology that can reduce methane emissions. So we have we have crops that are uh, genetically modified to absorb more carbon dioxide from the air than they normally would. Basically, they're they're larger respirators, and that's supposed to lower the amount of carbon dioxide that that is released by uh, basic farming operations. And we have methane digesters, which are massive machines that a lot of dairymen are using right now that collects all of the methane or as a, a good portion of the methane from their dairy farms, and it converts it into a usable energy source. And so that, that lowers the amount of methane they're producing on their dairy, which for the farmers is great because it gives them a great, a, a great tax break and it powers their lights. But uh, there's, you know, there's obviously the environmentally conscious uh, purpose for that as well. And a lot of the more sustainable and regenerative methods have been developed as a means of trying to, for one, save money, but also to try to help see if, if by doing those methods and by reducing the amount of those gas emissions, if that actually lowers the footprint that agriculture has on, on the environment from what everyone claims. And so far it might lower it a, a, a tiny bit, but not nearly enough to consider it a viable method of replacing conventional agriculture. Not saying we shouldn't be doing it, but it's just not as effective as everyone says it is because agriculture, despite popular belief, doesn't have as large of a, of an environmental footprint as other industries that do like the automotive industry, for example. Right. Yeah. And, cows get a huge rap for uh for that and and the i guess the methane from their farts that goes up into <laughs> there and 
that's you know this is exactly why i kind of started the podcast because you always get one side of things and then that you kind of take that as fact and then people run with it and then they create these whole campaigns and their whole lives on things that like really do they really understand like i don't know maybe maybe not but it's fascinating to hear the other side of these types of things because Mm -hmm. that's exactly it it's a that you know you would think that like climate change is like destroying everything and and you know that like when you're an environmentalist like you're you're get rid of the cows and and get rid of all this but really there's like so much more that goes into it and i'm Mm -hmm. i I appreciate that people can be you know level-headed and not you know jump out and try to like bring down everything on twitter <laughs> cancel farming mm-hmm. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah I- i'm curious about exactly. corn um corn is one of those things like i read a stat and who knows if it's true but it was like humans consume so much corn or byproducts of corn that like there's a certain percentage of us that we are now corn um from because it's in everything i don't know if that's true or not i was trying to google it as i as i was talking so as you're answering i'll i'll search it but i'm I'm curious because corn is it the biggest crop in the states would you say in the united states I believe it is the most uh grown crop it is actually state so i would believe it if if somebody told me it was but i don't know that to be completely sure okay but i think it is too. You know, why do we depend so much on corn? Um, what is it about this this product that, um, for as much as I understand, is basically just water um, in a vegetable? Why do we, as a society, depend so much on this one product? It, it, it's a hard question to answer, and I've been asked this before, and it's a really good question. Especially from because you know I've been I've had uh, nutritionists or not nutritionists but like you know people who are who are very very nutritionally conscious on my podcast before and they've asked me that before you know why are we so dead set there's always there's always like corn free diets and you try to cut 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 corn out of your life and you know like let's stop using corn for food and start using it for gas and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and you know corn seems to be what our what our lives revolve around. I wish I had a dead set answer on why we're so reliant on corn. The only thing I could think of is that it's, it's one of the easiest crops to grow. It's, it's very abundant. It grows very quickly. It's a very easy crop to keep alive and it is one of the easiest crops to harvest. And there's, you know, there's, there's so little keeping corn from being an eat from, from being markets just because of the, uh, you know, availability of it in terms of it can grow pretty much anywhere. It can be grown you know climate in any in any environment i mean obviously there's exceptions to that it can't be grown just anywhere but it can be grown in a lot of places i mean it's grown in all 50 states like there's not a single crop that's grown in all 50 states so that should tell you how how versatile corn is and how likely it is like if i had to guess if the world ended tomorrow and we're on apocalypse it's gonna be grown corn because it's probably gonna grow (laughs) like so i i don't know the exact answer on why we're so reliant on corn but i would guess just because it's just so easy to grow and it's just always going to be there Interesting. I can't find the article. I wish I remember where I saw it, but damn. Anyway, it was like something ridiculous that we were like two or 3% corn because it's just, 
in everything uh, that we eat. Uh, so uh, I, don't, I wish I could find that stat. Again, I just talk shit. So who, who knows? <laughs> but yeah, but not um, to mention, I mean, corn is also, like you mentioned, it's, it's in all our food. We use it to feed a bunch of different animals too. And that's because it, it fattens up, it fattens, fattens them up like that. Like you know, right. you've seen corn or grain fed uh, cattle versus, versus grass fed cattle. Grain fed cattle are a lot fatter, a lot a lot quicker and that's usually because of the corn in their diet you know you, you talk about corn fed you know like you look at two boys and what you call them a corn fed boy you know putting corn in things tends to make us bulk up faster and for a lot of different meals and like corn meal is actually used for i can't remember what it's used for it's used for something in organic farming i want to say it's a fertilizer maybe i could be wrong about that completely i done that but corn is just it's versatile for so many different things and it's useful for both animal and and human uh, feed commodities. And so it's like, why would we not grow it kind of thing? That's, that, that's just kind of my, that's my, my, that's my guess on why it's so, so popular. Well, it's, it's interesting. Cause I remember having, um, a conversation, uh, his name is John Owen. He owns a meat packing company here in, in, in Ottawa, Canada. And, uh, we were talking about how, how those buzzwords now totally, uh, like consume, like as, as a marketer and, and as a consumer, like when you see grass fed, you're like, mm-hmm. Oh shit, I want grass fed. Like that's the stuff I want. I want it to be grass fed. I want it to be uh, free range. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I don't even know what that means. What does free range mean? Like, <laughs> you know, but like, as soon as you have those buzzwords, you're like, Oh, okay. That stuff's way better. It's called the halo effect and it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, the food marketing, the whole labeling situation, in my opinion, is one of the worst things that's ever happened to agriculture. Mm. And because people, you know, people often think like, you know, if, if, cause those labels actually do hurt farmers in a way, not in a massive way, you know, like you're like, no farmer's going to go out of business because somebody put a non GMO label on their food. But people tend to think like, you know, if farmers don't like those labels, then why do they put them on there? Farmers don't label the, the, the food. They just sell the food. Somebody else who processes it and then distributes it, then labels it. So there, cause there's a whole process between the farmer and the retailer, you know, the farm to fork processes a lot people tend to tend to realize. And so they say like, you know, why, why are farmers putting uh, you know, a non GMO label on, on my food? If, you know, if, if they don't want me to trust it, it's like, well, because they didn't put it on there. Like, the the marketing is is entirely based off of the distributing company or not the distributing company the um the labeling company not the not the farmer not the distributor not anyone else in the chain just the person getting money off of putting that label there and the labels aren't lying they just tend to be a little bit misleading and mm-hmm. I, it, it tends to cause me frustration just because I feel like anyone who puts those labels on there assumes that all the consumers are stupid not that they are but well. it kind of makes them stupid. <laughs> I mean, like we said at the top, we we are kind of uh, not stupid, just uneducated. Like I don't know what the hell yeah. that means. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I don't I don't blame anybody who who trusts you know oh it's it's antibiotic free it must be better for me. Like I, I don't get mad at somebody for assuming that, but I it just kind of ticks me a little bit whenever whenever I hear somebody say that because I know better, you know, and and anyone who knows better tends to get kind of like really like you just said that, but you know like how are we mad at somebody who believes that when they haven't been told otherwise, you know, it's, it's not fair. So to kind of completely debunk the whole labeling thing, almost any label that's used for marketing. So antibiotic free GMO free or non GMO is what they actually phrase it as um, hormone free. 
uh, what, what are the other ones? Organic. Organic's actually the only one that that's uh, federally required. So that one doesn't count. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm okay with organic. It's just the idea of the whole organic versus conventional is, is a conversation that also has a lot of misconceptions, but those mm-hmm. labels, they cause, you know, like, like the, like uh, grass fed or, um, you know, pasture raised or, or locally grown or, um, uh, all natural is, is a big one. We might all natural it's grown in a field. How much more <laughs> natural do you want it to get? Like, um, you know, or, or, uh, what's the other one? Um, range fed, you know, mm. uh, uh, what's the one that you mentioned about free range? Um, free range. That's, that's what, yeah. that's what I was trying to think of. Yeah. So like you hear all these labels and like, you know, like you said, a lot of people don't know what they mean, which is fair, you know, but when you start to make assumptions off of the industry because of those labels is when they start to be problematic. You know, that, that's exactly what has happened basically mm-hmm. uh, that we, you know, we'll buy the $10 extra stick because it says grass fed instead of, mm-hmm. you know, corn fed. And um, the, there was another wild stat where like a certain amount of people like don't even know that like the, the meat that they they're eating was like from a live animal or something. Like it was like when you go, oh, to yeah, no, I've, store, I've, yeah. You know, I've people met like people that? that have actually said that to me. Before. Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> it's like they, like I've met people that actually believe that we just like, or maybe they know that it comes from a live animal, but they don't know that we kill it to make the, the meat. They think we just like cut it off the side or something. Like, oh. I, I don't understand how that mentality is possible. I, I try not to be like, anytime somebody mentions that I'm, I'm very respectful about it. I'm not like you idiot, but like it hurts when they say that. I'm just like, did you really just say that? Like, <laughs> Who taught you that? And sometimes I actually asked him, I said, Hey, where'd you hear that? Like I had one guy, uh, cause I was, you know, for, for a recruiting event, I was, I was with my college. I was doing, um, like an ag facts thing where I was like saying like little booth people walk by to spin a wheel, whatever topic it lands on. I asked them a question just to see if they know it. Super basic questions. Like one of them was like animal science or it was a equine science. And I said, what different colors can a horse be? You know, just like random questions. This one guy walked by, he spins the wheel. He had to be like in his forties, spins the wheel, lands on animal science. And so I said, Hey, can you tell me the difference between a cow and a bull? Which before I get the answer, do you know what the difference between a cow and a bull is? The bull is uh, the male. Is it Correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I would have accepted any form of the cow is the female and the bull is the male. As long as you get that right. I mean, like there, I've heard answers that aren't right, but they're more right than what this guy said. Like they say, like, you know, the bull has horns and the cow doesn't. Well, cows can have horns too. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a breed thing. It's not a gender thing. Um, or like, you know, the bull is, you know, uh, aggressive and the cow's not, which tends to be true, but isn't always the case. There are actually tame bulls and there's actually mad cows. Um, but what this guy said just completely threw me for a loop. Cause I had never heard it before. He said that the bulls eat meat and the cows don't. Mm. And I was like, that's different. Where, and so, <laughs> yeah, I was like, where did you hear that? He's like, I don't know. I was like, okay. Mm. And I just, I corrected him. I said, no, you know, bulls don't eat meat. No, you know, they're like way back in the day, that was a thing, but that was illegal. You know, you're not supposed to feed bulls meat or cows meat. Uh, so I corrected him. I said, no, the bull is the male and the cow is the female. And he's like, oh, okay. And he left. And it was like, I heard that and I was like, I mean, that was a different one, but how many people are thinking, I mean, not, not that specifically, but how many people are thinking things that are, are, are that level of inaccurate and they're spreading that information around. And that was kind of concerning to me. And so like that happens all the time, you know, or like, you know, going back to the labeling thing, a big thing that happens is that people have the, 
you know, so like you see like two stakes next to each other. One says grass fed and one fed, um, or one says grass fed and the other one says nothing. Well, what are you going to assume about the one that doesn't have the grass fed label on it? Yeah. That it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's either, it's either worse for you or that it's, you know, that somehow grain fed is dangerous or like, like if you look at, uh, you know, like, like we mentioned chicken earlier with the hormone thing, one chicken says hormone free and the other one doesn't, you're automatically going to assume the one that doesn't has hormones in it and you're not going to pick it which hurts that farmer, which, you know, or it hurts that company who's selling that shit actually hurts that farmer because if they're not making money, they're not going to pay the farmer as much for his product, which is going to hurt the farmer in the long run. And that's entirely not the farmer or the company's choice. It's whoever put that label on. It's their, you know, it's their fault. And they, they're doing it for marketing reasons, but they're not realizing how much they're hurting the other guys in the process. And so that's why I try to educate people as much as I can about what those labels actually mean. And in reality, they don't mean anything. Not like I said, they're not lying. They're not, they're not spreading false information. That chicken actually doesn't have hormones in it, but none of the chicken has hormones in it. So it's just kind of like a misleading label. Right. Well, I mean, like right off the bat, you, you, you were talking about uh, GMOs. And again, I think a lot of people, when they see that, they're like, Ooh, Ooh, but when you frame it as the GMO is like the thing that's putting nitrogen back in the soil, which is cultivating its ability to keep growing season after mm-hmm. season, I mean, it's not actually such a bad thing. Um, but, and like, mm-hmm. we should probably have that if you really like to eat that product, whatever that product might be. But immediately you're like, oh shit, GMO is like, I'm going to get cancer. No way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I mean, that like, right, like that to me just was like, yeah, um, no, yeah, that's a big thing. Like GMOs can have more nutritional content in them. They can be, you know, larger and healthier and, and less, you know, less chance of having any any uh, insects or or you know pest damage on there. They can be less likely to be to have food safety issues with them. All that kind of stuff. But that, I can go on that forever. Yeah, I mean, there's such a huge industry and topic. You know, you could go on for oh, three yeah. hours because I, you know, I wanted to talk about how like the pandemic was affecting it and and the, like the workers. But I mean, really. Um, in the in the save of time because we both also have other stuff to do um i i do want to ask you before i let you go what's the future do you think what does it look like to you when it comes to farming and i kind of asked that on two fronts i mean we talked about the climate change and that's obviously affecting Mm. certain things in certain areas but i also when we go back to that same topic of people being so disconnected from this this industry and their food, you know, unless you kind of come from that area, I don't think a lot of people are truly considering farming as a, a viable career option. So will there even be the jobs and the, the people who, who are willing to do it and, and own the property and put in the work? Cause let's not forget this shit is hard work. This isn't me sitting at a computer all day complaining. It's, it's like manual labor. And we talked about all the stuff that goes into it. So I mean, does it look good? Does it look bad? Um, is it kind of neutral? It's just going to change. Where do you, and especially when it comes to food, I know like just ask about farming is, a, is a, like, there's so much different farming, um, mm-hmm. but let's talk about food and the farming of food. Like, what does that look like in the future? Man, lots of <laughs> Put you on the, I like profound conversations and <laughs> mm-hmm. no it's a great question and it's it's a really important question to answer and i've had to answer on multiple occasions and every time i answer it i just i don't know if i give the proper response um 
I'll start with a, a few generally uh, generalizations as to where I think the future of farming is going to go. And then I'll kind of give my definitive, you know, this is where I, I'll, I'll, I'll so here's what I'll do. I'll give a few general examples and I'll say, this is where I hope farming goes. And then I'll, mm. I'll give my definitive, this is where I think farming is going to go. So to start off, farming, agriculture in general, because agriculture is more than just farming. There's a lot of science involved, as we mentioned. There's a lot of, you know, animal agriculture is a thing, lumber, mining, all of those are considered agriculture. It's more than just farming. Agriculture as an industry is constantly evolving. And I know we didn't get a chance, like we're going to have to do either a follow-up episode or we can talk about this on my episode whenever you're on there. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about everything like COVID or the workforce, or even, mm-hmm. I don't think I got to fully explain sustainable or, or regenerative ag in the way that you probably wanted me to, but we'll go over all that. But agriculture is constantly evolving. We have technology that's constantly being produced. Like right now, we have more advanced drones and artificial intelligence than most other industries do. We have, mm. you know, robotics and agriculture that no other industry is using. We have, you know, we have new methods that, that nobody even knows about. I think that's going to continue to evolve. We're constantly going to have new technology coming out there. And we have a lot of agriculturalists that are partnering with non-agricultural companies. You're having, uh, you know, computer engineers and, and scientists and inventors and, and, you know, uh, uh, designers and and programmers and all these different uh, industries that are outside of farming that are getting into agriculture because there's a job for them and, and they are necessary. You know, there's, there's a sudden need for technologists I think in terms of the job market, like you mentioned, you know, farming isn't, is, or agriculture isn't really taught as a desirable career anymore. And uh, that's something that I think is a, is a fatal mistake because there's so much opportunity for agriculture. And like I said, you don't have to be a farmer. As I mentioned, graphic designer, you could be a computer scientist, you could be a programmer, you can be a developer, you can be, you know, there's so many different jobs for agriculture. I'm going to be a teacher and, and I'm working on communication. So I'm doing my podcasts and like, there's, there's a lot more opportunity than just being out in the field. Although we do need those workers too, is going down. The average age of the farmer is going up. We're we're getting less and less new generations of farmers coming out. Those things scare me. You know, the size of farms is increasing, but the the amount of farm land is decreasing. Uh, the the amount of regulations is constantly increasing. We're you know we're seeing more and more pushback from the public on certain things like GMOs, like organic, like some of the stuff we talked about. I think that all of those things are going to continue as well, unfortunately. And that's where my role comes in as an educator, you know, as by doing my podcast, by being a teacher, by doing all the things I've been trying to do through social media, that's where the ag communications role comes in is trying to get people on board with some of the stuff we're doing. That way we can keep doing it and it doesn't get harder and harder for us. I think if we're going to continue to do agriculture that you want to in order to feed the world, there's going to have to be some leeway. On both sides, you know, agriculture is going to have to get a little bit more creative in terms of the technology, and they have been. You know, there's some there's some pursuits right now to look into more advanced forms of vertical farming and hydroponics. I don't think that's going to be a long term solution, but it might be a short term one until we can find the next big thing. Uh, genetic modification is getting more and more advanced, and it's getting a lot more efficient and a lot faster. Uh, we're having new products come out the door over the next five to ten years that hopefully will be. Uh, you know, pre- uh, presenting new ways of producing higher yield crops on lower amounts of land because that's what we're going to need. Although we're, there's going to be, there's going to need to be some leeway on the other side too. You know, consumers are going to need to know more about agriculture in a way that they're making smart purchasing and voting decisions that aren't going to hurt farmers. We can't have any regulations on farmers because farmers need to have regulations too. We can't just let them run loose and do whatever they want. But but for consumers to be voting on things that are affecting the way their food is grown and then 
we don't have any food anymore, that's not going to, that's not going to work. You know, we can't do that. So agriculture is not going to go anywhere, but there needs to be some changes made on both sides for it to work in a way that benefits everybody involved. And I think that the, the end of the day, the conversation needs to be had of this is how we're getting our food. How can we both, you know, how can both sides agree that the food it is being grown in a way that is going to benefit everybody because the, the, the best way to benefit everybody is that everybody's fed, you know, because the farmers are having to eat too, you know, and that's, that goes into them being able to be paid for the, for the product of their toil and they're able to eat that food. And, you know, having an understanding of the chemicals we're putting on food and the chemicals we're not putting on food, having an understanding of the, the technology being used and the technology that's still to come, having an understanding of why it's a bad idea to build a whole new Walmart when there's a, a vacant, a vacant Costco building that we could turn into a Walmart instead, or why it's better to build up instead of outward. Why it's better to have, you know, smart growth programs in place that prevent cities from completely abolish, uh, uh, this, uh, demolishing farmland that we need to grow food for, for different areas. Because as much as the United States is an agricultural hub, we grow so many different things in the United States we barely feed ourselves with that food. We're feeding other countries. We're feeding countries that are dependent on that food. So if we're, if we're destroying that farmland, we're not hurting Americans. We're hurting that country because they don't have food now. And so I think that once we have more conversations like that, farming will be okay. Agriculture is going to be okay. It's just that right now we're in kind of a stagnant place of, I don't know what's going to happen next. And that is a little bit intimidating. It's kind of scary to be honest, but I, I have hope that we will come out of it and that, you know, eventually we're gonna get to the point of, you know, having the conversation of what are we going to do about our food situation? I just don't think it's going to come easily. And I'm hoping that it doesn't come when it's too late. Yeah, it's going to be a even more politically divided conversation. But that's why I think, you know, something that like what you're doing with the podcast and, and coming on my podcast and, and that education, I think that's so critical, because for whatever reason, as a society, and this does not even like, just the United States or just Canada, but we as a global society just do such a mm -hmm. shit job on educating its citizens on not only food, but basically everything like mm -hmm. personal finance, like all this shit, right? Like mm -hmm. you can seek out the information now, which is great. There's people doing it and you can find it, but just as a whole, like as an establishment, like we just, people are just so uninformed and you have idiots like me who watch it on a documentary and changes everything about their lifestyle because this one documentary told me things. And I'm like, Oh damn, now, now I can't eat meat, but anyway, <laughs> I do eat meat. anyways. Um, so anyway, like, thank you so much for at least shedding some light. I'm looking forward to our conversation uh, on yours where um, we can get into a little bit more of the, some of this other stuff we, we didn't get a chance to touch on, but, uh, where, where can, where can people find you uh, on social media, your podcast website, uh, tell people, tell people where we can find you. Yeah, for sure. So my podcast is called talk ag to me, which ag is short for agriculture. So it's, you know, talk a G T O M E, you know, pretty simple, uh, everywhere, Facebook, uh, you know, Instagram, Twitter, I have accounts on all of those for talk ag to me. Um, Anywhere you find podcasts, even on YouTube, so Overcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all that's just talk to me and you'll find it, I guarantee it. I'm the only one with that name. Uh, you know, I, I post episodes every Wednesday and we always bring on people, like I mentioned earlier, that uh, don't know as much about agriculture, but that's okay So we have fun conversations anyway. We try to relate it to, uh, you know, non-agricultural topics. So we talk about Star Wars and, you know, video games and all kinds of fun stuff like that and try to relate agriculture to those things because I guess 
said, I'm a big nerd and it's really easy to talk to people as long as they understand what you're saying. So, you know, I have people on, we talk about like which star Wars droid is the best farming robot, which is a fun conversation to have. And, just, mm-hmm. you know, just, we, we had a whole episode on the Martian and how the Martian, you know, accurately portrayed potato farming and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, just kind of goofy stuff like that, but it's all, all about educating and all about getting the word out there. And so, cause like I said earlier, I don't think ag has done a very good job of doing that in the past and we're trying to fix that today. And so, um, yeah, that's all my podcast stuff. My personal stuff is uh, Brendan Black, pretty much everywhere, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, I think on, on Twitter I'm or on Instagram, I'm Brendan.black35 or something like that. But yeah, if you guys have any questions, if you want to reach out and, and just talk to me about stuff, if you, if you see other documentaries, because I've been approached about many, many different documentaries. If you see a documentary and have a question, reach out to me and say, hey, is this true? And I can tell you that it's not because none of them are. Um, and then we <laughs> can go from there. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But yeah, so that's how you get a hold of me. So if you guys, you know, have any questions, I'm always happy to talk. Yeah, and it's important for anyone listening, uh, understand nuance uh, and and context. Uh, that's something I've learned a, a lot, not only through this podcast, just but just through my own personal development. Because, you know, if you, if you see something, it might be true, but it might also like the circumstance might not be exactly portrayed. And I think it's important that we we all just you know, reach out to someone who knows, reach out to an expert, usually happy to explain it. So um, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be chatting soon. So I look forward to it. Yeah, me too. And before we, before we close out, let me just say one thing, cause I forgot to say this and I say this on every podcast I'm on. I'm by no means, you know, a, uh, I'm, I'm no, by no means a professional agricultural uh, researcher by any, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. I don't know everything there is to know about ag. There's constantly new things coming out there. Maybe I missed something. I could have said something that was wrong. I could have gave out a wrong statistic. I've done my homework. I've done my research, you know, since my junior year of high school for the past four years, five years, I've been developing, you know, tons and tons of, of research on, on agricultural information and different issues and stuff like that. So I feel like I know a decent amount, but I could be wrong. So take everything I say with a grain of salt and by, you know, more than anything, go do your own research, you know, take what I said and go fact check it. And if I'm wrong, let me know. Cause I don't want to be telling people the wrong thing. So, you know, I'm okay with being wrong as long as the right information is being out there. So that, I just want to say that before people go out there and say that I'm, you know, the, the number one expert in the world on all things agriculture. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's uh, yeah, that's the, the blessing and the curse of podcasts for sure, where, you know, this is not rehearsed and I'm just asking you shit and you have to come up with answers off the cuff, right? Like it's, I, I think I'll, I hope a lot of people understand that, but yeah, I think that's important. Like, okay. Just like you did with the documentary, take what you said and then, and, and then go make up your own mind with the, mm-hmm. the stats, the research, the facts. Uh, so yeah, it's good to know. All right, man. Be good. <laughs> Thanks. Take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.